Welcome to Season 5 of American Political History, Rise of the Metropole, Dutch Anglo Wars. In the 17th century, the Dutch were on the rise. They started with their War of Independence with Spain at the turn of the century, and by 1630, they had stretched their burgeoning empire by conquering the Portuguese colonies in Brazil and Africa, taking control of the sugar and slave trades. By 1640, Dutch trade was double that of England's. The Anglo-Dutch wars were a result of the growing competition between the two largest European maritime countries. The Dutch-Anglo Wars was a series of three short wars, with at the time unique characteristics to European warfare, which would foreshadow the changing of the European political landscape in the 17th century. These were wars over strategic economic interests and spheres of influence over transatlantic trade. And shockingly, they were even fought between two Protestant nations, making a distinct change from the religious warfare of the Reformation period in European history. This was also a set of wars fought almost exclusively at sea, another foreshadowing of the growing power of the European maritime nations. England would start open economic warfare in the 1650s during Cromwell's reign, seeing that most of the trade from New England, Virginia, and the West Indies was carried by Dutch merchant ships, Parliament would pass the first Navigation Acts. This was an attempt to catch up to the Dutch by enacting monopoly rights over English colonies. These acts would ban the transporting of goods from English colonies by foreign vessels, effectively cutting out the Dutch from the English Atlantic trade. The first Anglo-Dutch war was much smaller in scale than the latter two and ended with an agreement between Cromwell and the Dutch leaders that England would not support the infant Prince of Orange's claim to the Dutch throne, and England would get some minor trade concessions in return. This war was very much in the same vein as the wars previously described with the native cultures in the American East Coast. Stand up your forces, have a few skirmishes, see who is stronger, and make a peace settlement. The English, though, always felt they had a better position in any war with the Dutch, and the English did have a few natural advantages. First, England was located west of the Netherlands in Europe. Therefore, all Dutch merchant ships would have to pass through English waters to return home, while English ships could set sail directly into the Atlantic Ocean from English ports. Next, the winds of northern Europe generally blew from west to southeast, meaning that the common winds would be at the backs of English ships in warfare, making it easier for English ships to approach Dutch ports and harder for Dutch ships to reliably approach English ports. And, although the Dutch fleets were numerically superior, the English navy started the war in a much better fighting condition. The Dutch were still using antiquated naval tactics, where they would attempt ship-to-ship -ship grappling of their enemies, boarding quickly with their shock troops the English would invent a new tactic of lining up warships into rotating firing lines. The new English tactics proved successful in the First War, which led to a naval strategic revolution. Between the First and Second Wars, there would be an arms race of new man-of-war ships, which would be larger with more cannon. At the start of the First War, the English had 57 heavy warships, and by the end of 1680, they would have 89 despite their naval losses in the Dutch-Anglo War. The Dutch would lag behind this development, a sign of their eroding position as a maritime power. 
At the start of the First War, they had 51 of these heavy warships, matching England's fleet, but by 1680, the Dutch only matched one-third of the increase to the English naval forces. The Second Anglo-Dutch War would oddly open with the signing of a peace treaty between the English and the Dutch right before the onset of war. In 1662, King Charles II, two years into his restoration reign, would sign a treaty with the Dutch that resolved most of the outstanding trade issues from the First War. Then, King Charles would pivot and bring back the Navigation Acts. In addition to the Navigation Acts passed by Cromwell, which restricted vessel nationality returning to England, now English merchant vessels must return directly to England if they carried any of a long list of commodity goods, including tobacco indigo, sugar, and most of the common cash crops. These new navigation acts restricted almost all trade between colonies, even on English merchant ships. Additionally, aimed at the Dutch fishing industry, was a new English claim of a 10-mile exclusive fishing boundary around all English territory, including the English Isles and Newfoundland. The second navigation act, was a declaration of economic war targeting the Dutch, and so this economic policy quickly turned into open naval warfare. The Second Anglo-Dutch War started in 1665 and would last two years. The English's goal was to push the Dutch out of transatlantic trade as much as possible. They would do this by forcing the Dutch into open combat by pressuring all Dutch merchant ships traveling through the English Channel. When this was less than successful, the English warships started directly blockading the Dutch coastal cities. This war was directed by James, Duke of York himself, who in 1664, as he was in the know, knew that war was approaching. He had taken control of the Admiralty and command of all English fleets. He reorganized the fleets by dividing them into three squadrons, establishing Red Squadron, which was the most senior and experienced squadron, followed by White and Blue Squadrons. Just in case you wanted to know why Luke Skywalker in Star Wars flew in Red Squadron, was because Red Squadron was known to be the best of the best, and this was established in 1664 by James, the Duke of York. The Duke of York also reorganized the fleets further down. Each squadron would have three divisions within it. Each division was commanded by an admiral positioned in the middle of the fleet and a rear admiral positioned in the back. This allowed the middle admiral to command the fleet and the rearmost position to be commanded by the most valiant and stalwart vessel in the division, which also was the least likely to retreat while holding the rear. The Duke of York also revolutionized the training on English ships. English warships would now practice quickly forming single-fire firing lines on the open ocean. They also would practice holding all cannon fire until the order was given. This was done for two reasons. First, not to give away to the enemy their cannon's effective firing range until it was too late, and second, to create a single, devastating, unified fleet attack kill zone. As the Second War opened, the English had the advantage that their fleets sailed in coordinated formations, ready to maneuver into quick, pre-planned battle positions. Each ship in a division knew exactly where it needed to be when they engaged the enemy. The first naval battle was on June 3, 1665. During battle between the two nations' flagships, cannon fire hit the Dutch flagship's powder room and the ship exploded, killing the Dutch fleet admiral, which then led to the Dutch fleet's undisciplined withdrawal. 
Their fleets had no rear admiral to hold the fleet together in case of the loss of the main flagship. After this loss and embarrassment, the Dutch would reevaluate their naval strategy in light of the new English tactics, and soon enough the Dutch would drop their old tactics of ship-to-ship grappling in favor of copying English cannon formations. In 1666, France and Denmark declared war against England. Now England faced large fleets in which they were often grossly outnumbered. This meant that they would not be able to position their ships on the open ocean in closely bunched firing lines, and so they had to adopt defensive positions near their ports or quick strike attacks from their ports. In this second year of war with the attrition that had taken place, the English could have been put into dire straits, but King Louis XIV of France, who had only obligatory interests in this war had ordered his admirals to avoid battles and French losses whenever and wherever possible, and so the English were not put to press on their coastal cities. By late 1666, the Admiralty assumed that the Dutch were on the verge of surrender, thinking that if the English fleets were having such hardships maintaining, then the Dutch, who had been effectively blockaded from their Atlantic colonies for two years, must be on the precipice of disaster. The Admiralty sent a squadron of 20 warships to the Mediterranean. This turned out to be an egregious strategic error. It removed England's main naval defense and gave the Dutch Navy an opportunity. And so quickly the Dutch would raid English coastal cities, sail up the Thames estuary, where at the Midway River shipyard they would find and capture the English flagship named after King Charles II himself and sail it back to Holland as their war prize. Exhausted and embarrassed, England was able to come to peace terms with the Dutch, ending the Second War in a stalemate. The Third Anglo-Dutch War, 1672-74. This war was quite different than the first two. Rather than an economic war between two rivals, it was spurred on by King Louis XIV of France and his territorial ambitions in Europe. After the English and Swedish monarchies had moved to prevent the French from occupying the Spanish Netherlands. King Louis XIV had moved to embroil England in another war with the Dutch. His objective was to destroy the Dutch Republic while weakening England at the same time. And after an incident where two squadrons of English warships asserted their sovereignty of the sea over Dutch trade ships, the Third War began. The English initially anticipated a quick naval war with the Dutch. This time, the English would have the advantage of aid of French warships. The Dutch fleet was ready for war, though. Although they had not been able to build a larger fleet, they had been able to convert their fleet into new modern cannon-based ships. On June 2, 1672, the Dutch, with 62 ships, engaged an allied English-French fleet of 82 warships off the coast of Suffolk. Attacking with surprise, the Dutch fleet split the French from the English fleet. More remarkably, with less ships, they independently defeated both the English and the French fleets. Worse yet for the alliance was that the admirals of each side blamed the other for this defeat. The next battle was off Wolchenren Island off the Dutch coast. The Dutch would use their knowledge of the sandbags, forcing the larger fleet into restricted sailing conditions, turning on its head the English's numerical superiority and delivering a decisive blow against them. Next, off the coast of Trexel, the Allied fleet would manage to break the Dutch naval line. 
they should have been able to sack the Dutch ports protected behind. But once again, the alliance would strain when French ships would sail back to their ports before accomplishing the military objective of the Dutch cities. Even in defeat, the Dutch had rebuffed yet another attack. When news reached London of French armies invading the Dutch territories on the mainland, the English would realize that they were doing the bidding of the French. In 1674, England would make peace with the Dutch. French armies would continue their campaign on the mainland invading Dutch territories for another four years. The resolution of the Dutch-Anglo wars was generally a stalemate. These wars lacked a decisive single moment to end the conflict. But even in stalemate, the Dutch-Anglo wars had spent much of the Dutch's wealth and marked the beginning of the slow decline of the Dutch Empire, when it had looked so promising at the beginning of the century. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.